Welcome to Leap Listens. I'm Sarah McGregor. And I'm Roger Kalis. Leap Listens is brought to you by Leap Create. We are a people communications agency and we work with organisations to help communicate their culture, to attract and recruit candidates and to engage and retain employees through creative and digital projects and campaigns. Today, we are going to be talking about the culture of burnout and we're joined by Clive Carey, So Clive is an organisational psychologist and owner of the consultancy Renatus. Welcome, Clive. Oh, thank you very much. That sounds very grand. (laughs) So, Clive, tell us a bit about your working background. I spent most of my working life in consultancy, uh, blue chip financial services consultancy. So so a good period and fairly senior level um, for a long time. And then until seven, eight years ago, when I was in that world, I was heading up a learning and development practice. Now I'm doing similar in a sense, but on a smaller scale and in a more specialist way. How I come to be a psychologist or a business psychologist is I burned out very badly myself. I eventually worked out that I want, I should do something with it. And so I retrained um, during the pandemic. And and finally, in my mid fifties, found where I should be in the world. So better, better late than never, perhaps. Well, we're delighted to have you on, Clive. And um, I suppose one of the things to start with is just talking about what what actually is burnout. So how would you define burnout? Um, Strictly speaking, it's a non-clinical condition um, before I get it to to a definition. So it's a state of exhaustion and fatigue when you feel that you can't go on very easily, can't work at the same pace. So it's non-clinical. That said, there is a correlation between burnout and depression which tends to happen. It's sometimes called super achiever sickness. You know, people who drive themselves very hard, they're not necessarily huge achievers, but they are very driven and perhaps self-critical. But it can come from the culture in which you work as well. Logically, or, 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 or more specifically, it's a psychological reaction to uh, chronic work stress. Um, and it has three dimensions, according to the literature. Uh, Maslach's work uh, in the early 80s. And those dimensions are exhaustion, cynicism and reduced self-efficacy. What's the difference between burnout and just uh, the healthy pressure of having to perform continually to say a high standard in your role? Yeah, that's that's a very good question, Sarah. Um, it's easiest to understand burnout as a continuum. So at one end, that can you can experience acute fatigue after a hard day at work, but you get over it by the morning. It dissipates after a short recovery period through to the other end of the spectrum where it's it's quite a severe thing, where it causes mental distancing from work, if you like, impaired mood. And this will take place following prolonged uh, exposure to excessive job demands and consequently will often result in long recovery periods for people. So, Clive, in your experience, you know, what aspects of an organisation's culture most contribute to burnout? Well, um, it, 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 there's, there's a model that we, we tend to use called the Jobs Demands Resources Model. And it's uh, it, the demands. It's as simple as that workload going on to a point where you feel unable to cope. So. We will talk and we're going to talk, I suppose, about remote working and hybrid working and, and, and the latest trends. Technology, of course, is a blessing and a curse. And what, what tends to happen or what's happened in my experience and in the experience of people I've interviewed and discussed, researched with, it gradually accumulates this, this sense of being overworked, um, too much to do, can't get it done, 
don't know what to prioritize, don't know how to go about it. It's that kind of that kind of feeling. It's a sense that creeps over people, and and it, it it can initially have quite physical responses. I stopped being able to see my screen um, when I first experienced it. I think I knew for a period of time that I was burning out, whatever that meant, uh, and I didn't have an appreciation of what it truly meant. But I had blurred vision when I was at work, and if you're at a, a certain level of seniority, you can hide it simply by delegating your work. So it's extreme overwork, a, a, a feeling that you're never going to uh, catch up, and an underlying sense of hopelessness, in my case, certainly, um, but not in all cases. And, and is there a kind of moment at which you think, that's it, I've burned out? Is there a sort of almost like a falling down type moment? Well, there was in my case, and there was with all of the people, uh, my participants in my thesis, which I completed in the summer, um, there's normally a trigger moment. So... You're ticking along. You, you might even be aware that you're declining, as, as I was, and then something big happens, and that tips you over the edge. It's a tipping point. And that could be a personal thing. It could be a work thing. We tend to talk about burnout as being a workplace thing, but it's never that simple because external and outside work factors uh, do, obviously, I think, affect your general mood. Um, so, yes, you can see it coming, or I could, and then it just takes a big trigger, and then you're suddenly you're falling off the cliff, so to speak. And during that, are you continuing to work whilst you're burnt out, or are you kind of incapacitated through it? Yes, I think there's a tendency. What I found in my research is that people initially try to work harder, work faster, um, do more. Uh, um, so, so as if that's going to get them out of trouble. Uh, and it's a, it's a classic overreaction, over-response. Oh, I'm struggling, let's just do more. So initially, you perhaps will stop taking care of yourself. You'll stop going for a, a dog walk or a run or whatever it is you do um, to, to detach from work. We have this phrase, psychological detachment. You stop detaching. So that's, that's the first thing that happens. Um, eventually, people, this is what my research found, accept there is a real need for rest and recovery. And how long that requires... It's forced upon you. Who's the actor? Jim Carrey, I was going to say the mask on those sorts of things. He talks about depression and it, it, the clue being in the title that there's a need for deep rest. Now, whether or not one's burnout spills into depression, there is a point at which you feel you can't go on. You need to rest. Yeah, I heard him say that, actually. And um, it's in, it's really interesting. It's so sad that it gets to that point. And employees do have a duty of care, don't they, to to sort of spot these these things. And I'm just interested to understand, like, what's your opinion of, um, like, the mental health first aider? Yeah, it's another great question. And I think we're still, in, in organisations, we're still on on that journey. So mental health first aiders weren't around when I left uh, full-time corporate life about seven or eight years ago now. So, so they're a relatively new thing. I, it's a start. Um, I've had some of my respondents uh, and my research say to me, you know, I got put in front of the mental health first aider and it was a very well-intentioned, younger individual making their way in their careers, but they didn't have any comparative experience to be able to take a walk in, in their shoes. So I think it's a, it's, it's a step in the right direction. I think many people who are listening will appreciate that some years ago we didn't talk about when we were feeling down and we're getting better uh, as a society in expressing our, our feelings and, uh, and saying when we need help. But I think organisations, in my experience, anecdotally, are still a little bit slow. Um, in my case, the organisation couldn't wait to 
to get rid of me, really. It, it was probably a tricky thing for people to deal with. I think what would be useful um, is if organisations were willing to discuss with individuals who consider themselves to have recovered, that they stay with the organisation. They might be in a different role, a different capacity. But I think what organisations might usefully consider is using people who've experienced burnout to help mentor be around as a sounding board within the same organisation. That's a really good idea. Yeah. For managers, good managers should really be able to see that someone is struggling and that they are experiencing burnout. Yes. And yes. Um, I guess that's through just listening, having making sure that managers are having their one-to-ones with their team and just checking in on them, particularly now with this sort of hybrid working where you're not in the same room and you can't see yes, people. Yes, um, that question, how are you? How, yeah. are, you, how are you doing today? Mm. Um, you, you know, in, in the old, back in the, the day, we used to refer to it as rapport bill, chit chat before you got into the bones of the one-to-one. Um, I'm still not seeing it on a great number of organizations, uh, one-to-one documentation or annual appraisal documentation. You, you might get a personal development uh, section, but they're not necessarily going into um, uh, enough detail about what makes you tick, how are things generally, having a, a, a more holistic understanding of an individual's life. Um, and those conversations are not always comfortable uh, in, in organisations, particularly if an older style of management is still adopted, this say, command and control style. I mean, goodness me, organisations have struggled to adopt a coaching approach to management. Um, so, and, and they're still trying to, to do that, uh, it seems to me. Um, it's going to be a similar challenge, uh, but it's not impossible. It's one we should all care about because I think now most of us know um, someone who, who suffered in some way, shape or form. Mm. Oh, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. And I, I suppose with all these things, there is a, a spectrum. And as you said, I can imagine you probably worked in a culture where it was high performance, high pressure and potential. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but potentially any kind of suggestion of burnout could be seen as a, as a sort of weakness and an inability yes. to do your role. Um, yes, and absolutely. I guess at the other end of the spectrum, though, you've got, um, and Simon Sinek talks about, he believes whether this is true, and I, I'm not a fan of sweeping generalizations, but about a less resilient generation. And he's talking specifically about younger people who have perhaps got like unrealistic expectations about the company's duty of care to them. And I, um, you know, how do you feel about, about that? Do you, you know, where do you think that duty of care starts and ends with? companies well i asked i asked my respondents in my research um and and every, every one of them i think bar one suggested that the organization had more responsibility um, i asked them to, to to put a percentage on it that they felt that the organization was more responsible than the individual um so their responses are obviously quite valid um, i think it's also incumbent upon the individual to feel able to chat uh, and speak about something and to do that you need to feel psychologically safe. You need to have that, that element of it's okay not to be on the top of your game every day, or it's okay to go for a tough patch. Um, and I think to your point, Roger, there is still an element of, and whether it's just a British thing, I have no idea, but you know, the stiff upper lip, carry on. Um, my mind's going back, it's going to give my age away, really, to you know, the sort of Wall Street film. Do you remember, you know, lunches mm -hmm. for wimps and all that nonsense that, yeah. that was set on those films that, 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 seems, um, that seems ridiculous now? 
But I still think there's an element of that being seen to be strong all the time. Um, Daniel Goleman, the uh, emotional intelligence guy, I say that, he's the person who I think brought emotional intelligence to, to popular consciousness in, in his books. He's done some stuff recently, which has been published on LinkedIn about vulnerability and how leaders should not only work on their emotional intelligence, which can be developed um, and be very cognizant of that, but his point is that it never hurts to show some vulnerability to show that you're a human being. Um, and, and giving a little bit of that out occasionally is, is for everyone's benefit. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, realistically as well, there's a job to be done, isn't there? And you, you, you're in an organisation, it needs to stand, um, stand and deliver, so to speak. It needs to perform yeah. or, or else there is no organisation. So it's a balance, isn't it, as ever. As for younger people... My brother has a market research company. He did a piece of uh, research a while ago, and he found a lot of younger people, 30s and below, were beginning to report signs of burnout. Whether that means people are less resilient, I, 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 I don't think that's probably true. I think people, we're just different. I, I think we're allowed to say it a little bit more now. We're not afraid to say, look, or certainly younger people are, are, are perhaps less afraid to say it, and I think that's to be, to be congratulated. But I think... You know, human beings are resilient, full stop. So, Clive, um, I know we touched on this briefly before, but what impact uh, does like remote and hybrid working have on burnout? And, you know, does it, mm. does working from home make it better? I mean, what you don't see is people, um, you know, coming into the office early, staying late, signs that people are sort of working a lot longer than they should be. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, we've, we've seen it swing both ways, haven't we, since the pandemic? We've seen organisations shut down their central London offices, for example. We've seen uh, CEOs insisting that people go back to work or they risk losing their jobs. So we've seen both extremes. Um, I think hybrid working is here to stay. One of the things that, that goes missing when you are in danger of burning out is you stop taking the time to rest and recover. So there's a, the, the paradox is... And it's called the recovery paradox. And the person who writes about it is a woman called Susan Sonnenthal. She's a great academic. And the irony is the more you need to rest and recover, the less time you have to do it at a certain level in an organization. And why am I mentioning this? Well, if you work remotely and you're saving yourself, say, two hours traveling a day or three hours traveling a day, in theory, that should give you the opportunity to go and do something uh, relaxing that helps you replenish, rebuild your resources, uh, active rest, Rest, sleep, um, something that you should do that helps you unwind and recharge uh, your batteries. So I think hybrid working really offers us that opportunity. But it's going to be an ongoing discussion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's something really that organisations should be taking so seriously. What advice would you give to businesses to you know help prevent employees from burning out? It's it's, it's really trying to build a culture of of safety and security where people don't feel they're going to be judged or, or, or um, held back because they admit uh, something which, you know, they, they fear shows weakness. So you show vulnerability as a leader, you ask people how they're doing, you have conversations without things being written down, you have coffee conversations and catch-ups. It all sounds so simple, doesn't it? But some organizations don't do it. Mm -hmm. I, I've had discussions with people on senior management team of 
very big organizations who have said things to me like, we're a grown up organization. We don't need to do that around here. We just get on with the job. Mm -hmm. And it's my job. It's the, it's the job of someone in my role to say, that's not good enough. That's simply not good enough. Um, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. You know, it's not just about the tasks, getting the tasks done. It's how we do it. Um, and I think it's everyone benefits if everyone's aligned. Um, and, and I, so, so I think it really is marbled through. It should be marbled through a whole organization from recruitment to talent spotting, to learning and development, to even when they leave, you know, are they part of an alumni network, uh, you know, for, for, from an organization? Uh, and I think all these things could really help people to feel part of something um, beyond, you know, the drudge of tapping away at a keyboard or coming up with a presentation or whatever it is we do when we, when we turn up in the office. It, it's that humanity, isn't it? It's, that, it's, it's being human. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Clive, I think of all the podcasts that we've done, this is probably the one that um, least deserves to be bite-sized because I think it's such a, a deep issue that requires more time, really. But it's been amazing t talking to you and sharing your experiences. And um, there's no real easy way to, to segue into this. But one of the things that we've been doing is asking our guests about their top reads or listens for the year. I'd be really fascinated to know um, if you've got any recommendations. Well, I, I do actually. I, I, I don't like the term self-help, um, but there's a really good tool which um, is used in a clinical environment, but can be used in a non-clinical way. So it can be used in coaching and it can be used by yourself, on yourself. And it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. The books that people might find are written by Russ Harris. I like the book Act Made, Made Simple. And it's a way of simplifying a problem um, that you might have. And I'm not sure, is, is there a word? Therap? Uh, look after yourself, you know, coach yourself, therap yourself through, through that by a lot of these ideas can be condensed into a two by two matrix. ACT is in fact um, the modern incarnation of, of mindfulness. It's an extension of that. So Russ Harris's books on ACT, and there are a lot of wonderful academics around looking into uh, the use of this and taking it into organizations yeah that's great thanks Clive I think what we do is we'll add a link to that as Definitely. part of this podcast so that people can go in and and read that so but yeah thank you so much it has been um really fascinating talking to you and you know it is such a important subject and um I've learned a lot myself so thank you thank you Clive. <laughs> well thank you thank you very much indeed uh, thank you for listening to our Leap Listens podcast to listen to other experts in the industry, head on over to our website, that's leapcreate.co.uk, or you can listen on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And of course, if you have any people communication challenges requiring highly creative solutions, please reach out to me, I'm Roger, or Sarah McGregor on LinkedIn. Thanks very much. Yeah.